What's up, world? It's Spotty Wi-Fi, the king of the crypto punks, and you are now tuned in to Fired Up on the Blockchain with my guy, Travi. I'm like, Travi, come on now. Like, you, you got this under control. What's up? It's your Web3 bestie, Liz Morrison, and I'm Toy Encendida en la cadena de bloques con Travi. Yo, it's your boy Nessie Dorella from the east to the west. You already know who does it best. We fired up on the blockchain with Travi. Let's go. Yo, what's up? It's G Love, and I'm fired up with Travi. Yeah. I'm Juliet from the So Cool Girls, and I'm fired up with Travi. What up, y'all? This is Sammy Ariaga. I'm fired up on the blockchain with Travi. I'm Ray Isla, and I'm fired up on the blockchain with Travi. Hi, I'm Leah from Power of Women, and I'm fired up with Travi. Aloha, everyone. This is your boy, Yasad, with the band Pepper, and I'm fired up on the blockchain with my boy, Travi. All right. This is OSF, and I'm getting wrecked with Travi. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and DGENs, for the thousands in attendance and the millions listening in podcast land. My name is Travi, and we are fired up on the blockchain. Hey, Travi, let's effing go. I get a little Woo! Welcome to Fired Up on the Blockchain with Travi. This is Travi, and we are in the countdown to the end of season one of Fired Up on the Blockchain with Travi. I actually never intended to do seasons, but it's just a good time. We've been going for about a year. That's right. The very first episode of Fired Up on the Blockchain with Travi was in early August of 2022, and boy... What a year it has been. <laughs> I was involved in the Web3 space, working on teams and doing a whole bunch of fun stuff. And I have to tell you, um, that was prior to the podcast. So the initial reason for starting the podcast was to share the, no pun intended, to share the journey with you. Uh, the, some of the things that I saw, some of the things I was doing, some of the teams I was working on. So Meta David and I are going to get into it a little bit. Talk a lot about the state of the market as we start to prepare for some of the fun uh, last few episodes of season one. I've got some incredible guests for you, including our friends at our partnered foundation that the Journeys Fund for Kids, whose art programs are being defunded, uh, they're going to be coming on. So we'll finally be able to introduce them to you. And I do have to say this one of the things that Meta David and I are going to touch on is what it's been like as kind of like a, in a sole business owner here with a lot of incredible advisors, people I'm friends with and stuff. But for me, and this is an important piece, could have easily just cashed out, written a check, sent it to a charity and called it a day. But the whole point of the journey and the whole reason why I came up with the idea was to show that we're able to use the blockchain for good. What I needed was reassurance that there was going to be somebody who understood blockchain technology and that they were going to welcome an ETH transfer where it didn't necessarily have to just write a check because anybody can do that. What made the journey a little bit different, a little bit special, uh, was that we were starting something, not just funding for the kids and their programs, but doing it in a way where we're using the blockchain and we're the first ones working with this foundation. This was someone I had in mind from the very beginning, but it all needed to, I needed to take those steps. I needed to learn and I needed to make sure everything was going to be, um, that there was going to be enough of a roadmap and an understanding in place for what we were going to want to do with our funds. So, that's why I'm going to be excited as one of the last episodes to finally present to you, the listeners, who the foundation is, some of the great things that they've worked on, and how we can take just a small little donation that we're starting with, and we'll be able to stretch that into something larger for the long term. And that's really what the whole point of the journey is. So, um, you know, in looking back, being very reflective on this last year, we've had people who have been incredibly talented, musicians, artists. NFT founders, people on NFT teams on the forefront of this cutting edge 
of this next version of the internet. And it got me thinking a little bit. Go back if you haven't listened to it. Please go back and listen to episode 63 with Yasad Williams from the band Pepper. And we talk a little bit in there about what it was like for Pepper to come on to this reggae rock music scene um, on the heels of Sublime. Uh, many of you have heard of Sublime, and it's a band that had a lot of punk rock, but also reggae influences in their music. And when the lead singer Bradley Noel passed away, there were a lot of people who maybe moved on to listen to other genres, right? Rock and roll, hip hop was still, you know, pretty big at that time. But this reggae rock as a genre wasn't really a thing yet. And it got me thinking about the current state of, of our NFT market. So hear me out on this. It's all going to come together. The NFT market after the bull run, well, you know, the bull run was when we saw Board Ape Yacht Club NFTs selling for millions of dollars, right? Crypto punks selling for millions of dollars and many others selling for very high prices. And to me, that was like the heyday. Well, Sublime was really big, right? But then well, why do I use that comparison? Well, because when Bradley Noel died, the entire reggae rock as a genre could have completely disappeared. And now that we're in this bear market, this entire market of what we knew as this NFT Web3 world could very well completely disappear, right? Things are different. Things are not selling as much. Things are not selling out. Um, I'm looking at, you know, floor, not that floor prices is something that I track too much, but floor prices are going incredibly low for some very big name brands out there. And I think back to that conversation that you saw from Pepper and I had, and if it wasn't for a few bands like Pepper the Expendables, uh, Slightly Stupid. Um, I even thinking about like Long Beach Dub All-Star. You're like, man, this guy talks a lot about music. Yeah, I do talk a lot about music, but <laughs> there's a point to it. If it wasn't for those few bands still really plugging away and building within that scene, that genre, we wouldn't be where we are today. And if you look up some of the bands like Revolution, Stick Figure, dirty heads who have a little bit of a, or maybe a lot bit of reggae influence, we wouldn't necessarily be where we are where they're selling out these giant, you know, arenas or, or, uh, big stages or whatever. Um, thousands and thousands of people. If it wasn't for those bands that helped bridge that gap. And I think the NFT world right now is sort of in that bridging of the gap period where you've got certain builders like, podcasters, you've got certain builders like devs, you've got certain people going out there creating brands and doing some really fun things with them that the people doing this today, who knows what they individually are going to be doing five years from now, but I think the space as a whole is going to be a lot healthier because of the work that they are putting in now because the people coming in later, profiting later, getting their businesses run on the blockchain later are going to be people who have seen, wow, the pioneers in this space, the podcasters in this space, the devs in this space, the builders, the artists and musicians who are really finding incredibly interesting use cases for the blockchain, never gave up on it. So I'm bringing Meta David on today as a guest, and we're going to talk about a whole lot of things just with regard to the space. We're going to chop it up about the state of the market our ideas on a whole bunch of stuff. I hope you enjoy this conversation and don't forget to subscribe to his podcast, The Blockchain Experience with Meta David. So let's get into it. Your Costco membership is going to be on the blockchain. You're not going to know it. You're not going to care. You're just going to know that you have a, a Costco membership. And if they fill up or sell out, you could you know transfer yours to somebody else or sell it to somebody else or sell it back to Costco or whatever. And I mean... That sounds lame to a lot of people, but that's kind of like, it's kind of the point. Like it's not supposed to always be something where I buy something and I flip it for 10 X, but that's, that's what a lot of people have you know, luckily been able to do if they got in early enough. Yeah. You said it like amazingly right there is that I, I think you hit it on the head and I'll again, be the first to say that when I first got into this space, um, I came in with the expectation that I'd make like money in it, you know, or at least the hope that I would not necessarily with the flipping per se in the sense that I would buy something and then sell like 10 minutes later for like 10 X or something like that. But more like uh, along this, like I was kind of drawing parallels in my head 
like the stock market in the sense that I could just put some money in and I hold on to it. And, you know, at some point, and it wasn't really like a well thought out plan or anything like that. It was just like, I had this money in crypto and I could amplify my gains in crypto by putting it into NFTs. That's kind of like how I saw it. So I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, um, I absolutely, you know, was there. But to your point earlier, as I spent more time in this space, I kind of came to the realization about how silly that notion is is that um, like other people would kind of like participate in that as well. So to your point, I think there's some like really thoughtful ways that the blockchain can be used. And like Costco membership, I think is an amazing example where it's like a membership pass to something and uh, the blockchain affords you to a like, you know, validate and verify your membership. But then also if you decide that maybe Costco isn't for you anymore and you want to move on to like a Sam's Club or another one. You could sell your pass and then you could buy like a Sam's Club. Um, so like those are like, I think, interesting use cases. And I do think that there is still like absolutely a place for PFP projects. I don't think like they're dead, but not in the sense that like we have been used to seeing them. I think like if there's a project out there, and they exist also that has kind of like a mission and you can be a part of that mission and your intention is just to kind of support that, whether you want to do it like actively or just at least be like a member of it. You know, I think that the, there's uh, use cases there. And I think, like I said earlier, something like that's, you know, maybe in the hundreds, uh, but not necessarily like in the tens of thousands or the millions, unless if you're getting something like, you know, in return for that, that's worth that much. Uh, so, and I think the market's kind of quickly coming to that realization too. And a lot of these things are just being accelerated, you know, by marketplaces like Blur. So, um, you know, as there's some things that Blur might be doing as far as royalties. I'm not signing off on that or, you know, championing that in the, the least bit, but I would say that I think like some of those things going on are just kind of accelerating that natural price discovery. I also think that when we're talking about art, whether it's music or, you know, digital art, I think that's something with staying power uh, because it, to me, it actually is solving a problem. Like the blockchain is actually solving a problem before the blockchain. There really wasn't a way for digital artists to be able to monetize. Uh, let's maybe make narrow it down more narrowly to uh uh, art that is depicted visually as opposed to music just for a moment, just for sake of example, because it's a little bit easier, I think, for listeners to conceptualize that like absolutely solved the problem because like back in the 90s, you can make something amazing, say on Photoshop, which yes, did exist back then. But like it was just on photo, like you can monetize that in any shape or form, even though it might have been beautiful and people might have like, quote unquote, wanted it. But now with the blockchain, now you get like, you know, a, 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 a sense of like provenance, like that concept now exists. And now you can transfer ownership of that, you know, Photoshop image, that asset to someone else and they own it and there's a marketplace for them. People want it. And so uh, it's solving a problem there. And I would apply the same parallels to music. So I think that has like staying power for sure. I don't see that going away. I think we are going to see some volatility in terms of like some things in art going up and down. And, you know, just like in the real world, there's just going to be some artists that, you know, quote unquote, make it some that, um, you know, might not be big names, but they'll still have like a following. There's a, just very similar to the real world. There's just going to be this juxtaposition of just different persona types. But I think that's going to uh, absolutely exist. But I would, my thesis is, is that when we're talking about, about PFPs and, you know, minting at like 0.03 and then hoping to sell it like at 0.1 or what have like I, those things. I'm a little skeptical if they have staying power. So I think that part's kind of dying off to me right now. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, I feel like there's three main sort of creator types um, within the NFT three. There's, there's others, but I think in three, three major buckets, right? One to me is, is the, the company, that puts out an NFT. So I'm thinking about how Puma and gutter cat gang did a deal with LaMelo ball to get the sneaker. And I'm thinking a year and a half ago, that thing would have minted out in a second. It didn't even come close, but that doesn't mean that it's not cool or a collectible or something that could be worth a lot one day. But I just think the idea of buying it with the immediate need to flip it, that a lot of us still like that energizes a lot of people. But 
to me, like the fact that you can have ownership of that sneaker on uh, as an NFT on the blockchain and get a, a real one, people call them fidgetals to have a physical and a digital version. To me, like that's what's exciting about it. But because that's like a real life use case, it doesn't really inspire a whole lot of trading anymore. And I'm just like, wow, like I, you know, I, I can't believe it didn't sell out or whatever. But I think the reality is companies are going to continue to use the blockchain to do cool stuff, whether it's put out sneakers or put out stuff that Starbucks has been doing that they like, they just had something recently where you could, you create a, uh, a, a rocket ship out of your coffee cup, take a picture of it. And that's part of like, now you could get a Starbucks stamp, you know, and resell it that way. Uh, well, the second bucket I feel like are just brands in general, like those NFT brands that have said, okay, we're going to do something just basically using our, using the IP to kind of just allow the holders to do some cool stuff. So you think about Yuga, right? Forget about floor price of board apes. That's not the point. But you think about the creative things that folks are doing with their board. Everybody knows what a board ape looks like. And if they don't know what a board ape looks like, like in the real world, if you showed them, you know, a lineup of different uh, PFPs and you were like, which one looks the most familiar? They probably still pick a board ape because even in just the news seeing itself or as much as it's sold, right? They're familiar with that. So you have folks like Snoop and Eminem using the, the IP from the board apes in their music videos. So I think the branding is still going to be something that certain companies push forward. The questions are, though, you know, going back to the art and the music, and this is a third bucket, I feel like, is the individual creators in the space. I think of artists, think of musicians, and I think of even people like myself. But when you're doing things completely on your own and you want to do it to really put your mission out there in the right way, then you're kind of at a point where, where you're like, I really want the blockchain to prove X, Y, or Z, but... I don't, I feel like as a one, sometimes it's like a one man, not that I'm a one man team, but you know what I mean? As, as someone who's really the, the main decider on things, it's a lot slower to get things done than I ever would have thought. Every single meeting I had, whether you're talking about going to a school or you're talking to administrators or you're talking to different charities or any of the things, right? The, the blockchain was supposed to be, no pun intended, this experience that we're able to show and prove. And that's really the whole point. Whether you're talking about a company like Puma, a brand like Yuga, or individuals like myself, uh, and the artists who you've had on your podcast, and the musicians we've had on our podcast, I feel like the only way that the blockchain itself is going to be this successful, not that there's, in my opinion, not that there's any way it's not going to be successful, but the only way it's going to be successful sort of in the minds of the people understanding what it is who are kind of newbies to the whole space are just really understanding use cases and why it exists in the first place. You and I talk about membership clubs and PFPs and things like that. Those are not those, the, the sexy things about the NFTs, but those are the real things. Those are the things that are going to stick around. Like, you know, you and I talk a lot about the dot-com days. You and I were young, so we couldn't like monetize it. But we know that there were a lot of dot-coms that came out. And during that time, when people were investing money into this, into this, some of these you know, dot-coms, and uh, there was this big bubble that eventually burst, the main headline in the newspaper is that the internet is a fad. But the reality was that individual dot-coms were the fads, and that they were the bubbles to pop. In our case, people are saying the blockchain is a scam or NFTs are a scam. No, it's not a scam. What's a scam or what might not last are some of the individual NFT brands or some of the things that come out that exist on the blockchain. I think once people start to realize that and there's, oh, really? That's that's what the blockchain is? It's so simple. That's when I think you're going to see a little bit more, I don't know, understanding of, of what use cases could really be. What, what do you think? Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Um, and it's interesting because we always talk about mass adoption. And when we talk about mass adoption, there's this perception among some circles that mass adoptions mean mass adoption means oh, a bunch of people are going to enter in the space and our bags are going to go up. And 
I just don't think that's going to happen. You know, I think mass adoption is like the example that you're talking about where people are using the blockchain, but it's all, and I think you talked about it in your last episode, um, at least last episode I listened to at the time of this recording with the unstoppable, unstoppable domains, which is like mass adoption is where like people are using the blockchain, but it's all happening under the hood. And using your example of like the internet, you know, back then people had these questions about like, you know, is, is your connection a PPPP or is it a TCP IP or is it an ISDN or ADSL, which like right now it sounds like I'm calling like audibles for football game or something like that. Because today, like nobody, I don't think any of anyone even knows those terms and like, because we have that mass adoption where we're all just using the internet and we kind of don't give a poop, like, you know, whether what kind of connection it is, it's just so long as we're dialed in and we're connected, we're good with that. And that's, you know, the use case that like the internet kind of solved. Whereas like back then it was about like, you know, how you connect it to the internet. And then also, um, I hate to say it, but like a big part of the internet back then was porn, you know, and that's just only like a small subsection of what like the internet is about. And we kind of laugh about that now, but like back then that was like one of the first things that people would think about was like porn. Um, and in the same vein, you know, like these, like, let's call them like random JPEGs. Like that's only really a small subsection of like what the blockchain can do. And there's so many different like use cases and things that, you know, that the blockchain can solve. And that's the, to me, at least like the very interesting stuff to me, uh, membership passes. I remember when I purchased my home, how much I had to spend for like title insurance, thousands and thousands of dollars with the blockchain, I think you don't have to spend like any money on that because you can instantly verify like who actually owns the uh, who owns the house. Title the title searches could be a hassle sometimes, and um, you know, and then a lot of things do cost uh, you know money. I feel like everything costs a little money in in real estate too because you know people need to charge. Well, there's got to be a whole bunch of people who put their hands in the cookie jar. Yeah, yeah, and I think that. You know, I think some people are for, like are for that idea. I mean, I think a lot of the the real estate developers and investors and the people who want to get things moving understand they already know about blockchain. They already know that it could solve so many problems, but they also know the title companies don't want um, the blockchain Absolutely. to enter that world. But um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like same thing with AI. Like if you use it as a tool and not a complete replacement then then you're okay like you still need someone to look up the information on on the blockchain so like maybe they integrate with like the real estate attorneys they figure out some way to kind of restructure that but yeah man car deeds uh car titles you know your real estate deeds like you could still have paper versions of things just like you can have physical like we're still going to have a physical version of that lamello ball puma gutter cat gang shoe but you should but i think it's cool to have a digital representation of it. And you look at a lot of times a store will email you a receipt. Or if you go to a concert, you use a QR code to get into, into the event. Why not just own a digital representation of that in your wallet? Like to me, it's kind of a no brainer. Like even if see the, and the reason why that's not a thing that everybody gets excited about is because it's not going to make them a lot of money because not everyone's going to want to buy the fact that they were at that experience. But like you do see sometimes concert tickets or sporting, uh, you know, sports events tickets resell because something major has some guy scores, you know, five touchdowns in a game. Shout out Al Bundy at Polk High. And if you have, you know, if you could resell a, a ticket, someone's like, wow, I've got the ticket that this thing happened. So I get that that's like one in, in every so often, but like, I just think that there's something interesting about that provenance and ownership. And I'm going to take it back to this other thing too, that you mentioned earlier too. One of the things about, you know, art and music in the space and something that, you know, I know you're a big supporter of artists, you know, I'm a big supporter of musicians and, and artists and stuff. And one thing I always liked was that their work could be resold on the blockchain and people were able to buy it and own it. And the artist would make a percentage back. They'd make the royalties back. But I feel like the royalties was a big part of why a lot of people enter this space as creators. So I feel like it shouldn't be creators versus collectors, but you do have that mentality now where 
if you're if you're in it to trade and you want to make money on the NFT that you have, the creator is not getting anything from it. And the creator, unless they put out more NFTs or sell merch or do something else that they try to link up with, which which I can tell you this, I've had phone calls for about a year. And like sometimes it takes a really, really long time to get to like the next step of a partnership agreement. So I can't imagine what some of these companies that thought that they were going to be able to just monetize like their entire existence based off of secondary sales are thinking. And I think that's, that might be a big part of why we've seen the space kind of dry up. Um, some people think the space itself is going to zero. I think you and I both agree that the space is not itself going to zero. I think that what we're seeing are that you know, people are being driven more towards, I think, the, the use case type of NFT, the utility type of NFT, those, they're not selling for a whole lot in, in the way that you kind of looked back a couple years ago. But there are people who are looking at that as like, I'm only going to buy an NFT if it's, if it's a cause that I like or a thing I'm actually going to use or a person that I want to support. And you've got the other side, which is I'm only going to get into it for that really quick kind of flip. Um, and, and that's kind of it. There seems to be almost a wall between those two thoughts. So I think the space itself seems like we're at this shakeout point where we're kind of post royalties on, uh, you know, on the majority of NFTs, but then you do have great musicians able to put out new music. So like their fans are able to buy more. So they're able to monetize that great artists are able to put out more art without really. And you, you and Gabe Weiss had a great conversation about this is it's not really needing to, in the sense of, of delivering more than art, right? Like when you think of a 10 K who said, we're going to do all these things on the roadmap uh, and you're waiting for like, the partnership with Mattel or the partnership with Disney or like the, the ride at Epcot or like the, the Island or like this person to, to buy the sports team and like have everybody have their little NFT on the sports clothes. Like those were the things that hype and speculation that drove up the prices for so long. It's something I think about a lot and I haven't like fully answered the question in my head yet because I do realize that there's some technical challenges with enforcing royalties. I think from like if we're talking as a matter of principle um, and I have a little bit of a hot take on this uh, when it comes to those like creators, like musicians and artists that, you know, like a Gabe Weiss type or uh other types of artists, one of one artists, edition artists, what have you. Um, you know, I absolutely champion um, royalties. The ones I get a little iffy about, though, if we're being very frank, are the ones that do operate like companies and have, like, say, like a 10K collection. And I realize that that is a bit of a hot take, but my 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 reasoning behind that is is that. You know, I have an iPhone, all right? And let's say you're interested in purchasing this iPhone somewhere down the line. Like, should Apple be getting, like, a royalty for me selling this iPhone to you? You'd probably say, no, it's kind of, like, you know, silly. And so I think if, like, a collection is coming to market as a business, then I think they need to figure out, like, a business model. They need to be able to operate as a business. And to me, if, like, your sole source of income was going to be like royalties. I don't think you really had a business. Like I really questioned that business model. Um, so I, I, I vacillate on like, I don't really know what the solution to the problem is um, like the definitive one, but I think, uh, you know, I could say as a person like who participates in this space, I don't know if I've even resold anything from like an artist, but I would absolutely, you know, give royalties for that. When it comes to like the PFP collections and that sort of thing, like I can totally understand. And I think Kevin Rose spoke about this too, who is like a project founder of Moonbirds um, and also the Proof Collective. And I recall him saying that like, hey, if you've lost money on your Moonbirds, which a lot of people have, and you're putting royalties at zero, like he doesn't really have an issue with that, you know, uh, because it does operate like a business. And if you lost money on it, like why should he be getting, ro- or I should say he loosely, but as like a company, like why should they be getting royalties on that? And even to take it further, 
I'm a little iffy about like whether or not like a company should be getting like world like if Disney, even if you have like a collectible, like a Mickey Mouse, you know, uh, wristwatch and you're selling it to someone else, should Mickey Mouse be get, or I'm sorry, should Disney be getting a royalty for like that's it's it's if you think about it in those terms, you can kind of understand that there's like maybe some use cases where like a company shouldn't be getting royalty. So that's why I kind of, it's a little bit of a hot take, but I would encourage people to kind of just step back, zoom out, process a little bit. And should like, should we think about this space as like royalties always being applied every single time and enforce every single time? I'm not really so sure about that. However, I will say that when it comes to like individual artists, musicians, absolutely. Like no question to me. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my point, right? I mean, you're looking at individuals. I, I know for me, uh, and, you know, I've, I've answered a lot of questions on Twitter spaces. When, when we launched, that was when the creative royalties were going away, right? It was kind of like, it was like, well, we're in a bear market. Uh, this, this terrible FTX stuff is uh, kind of going on. Um, or I think it was maybe just right before that. But it was like kind of in that time frame. And I was like, well... All I was going to do with secondary royalties were put them back into the fund for, for the kids anyway. The journey was always going to be this experiment of who are the people in the space that are going to um, you know, put a little bit of ETH toward what I thought was a, a really good cause. And then you know, really go through that experience of you know, how much can we give to a foundation at certain times? So for me, I knew that there was going to be a grind and the individual person that I am, like the journey is literally an extension of things I've done in real life. But again, it's such a crazy marketplace. Like this is a crazy space. I know you recently, you know, you posted for sale. Your, um, you had some dead fellas, you know, swag. You had some sneakers and stuff like that, which I still have. If anyone's interested in it, you know, hit me up. Yeah, that, that's a really good price too. The custom. Um, you you want to you want to talk about that too? Do you want to promote that for a second? Uh, I mean, I, I I kid about it. Um, I still have them. I I enjoy them for uh, what they are. So um, I. Uh, didn't get any takers. If anyone is interested, hit me up. But uh, yeah, I have, uh, I think, like uh, custom shoes and then also a Bobby Hundreds uh, hoodie to a dead fellow's one. But sorry, man. Uh, sorry for interjecting no, that's okay. there. If it, if it was uh, like a maybe like a big size or something, I knew my wife wouldn't shrink and try to steal. I would totally at least go for that hoodie. So there's a lot of things out there. It's just a question of, you know. Is there, is there a marketplace to continue to raise funds in Web3 in the same way that there was even like a year ago? I think it kind of like depends. And it's kind of like what I was saying earlier. And I can say with confidence, Travi, that uh, a good chunk of the people that bought into the journey have like no expectation for you to come back and give us like merch or uh, anything for free. So, uh, and it's because of the way you came to market. You didn't come to market as like a for-profit corporation and it's because of the way that you came to market. And so I think it kind of like depends on like the use cases and the approach that you come to market and what the mission is and what the objectives are with, um, a lot of these major like NFT brands, they're profit driven, which is totally fine, but you're just going to have that like natural market you know, uh, reactions and actions, so to speak. So, you know, you're good at like, you might be able to launch something really cool, which gutter cat gang did, uh, but it might not necessarily sell out. And it's just because it's just that people don't really have the money right now. And even though it's cool, it's just something that they just can't throw like that is me actually. Like I just didn't have that kind of like extra income laying around where I could be throwing it into the podcast, so to speak, or doing other things with it. So I just kind of had to be a little bit picky about where my dollars go. And then uh, not to sound repetitive, but like if you came, you know, and said like, Hey, here's some air force ones and the proceeds are going to go to the journey without even looking at like an image of it, you know, or a mock-up or anything, I'd say, yes, I'm taking it. Here's my size. So I think it's all about really how you go to market and what your approach is and what your intentions are. So, um, you know, and with like uh, your project, 
like it would be absolutely one that I would put in that bucket absolutely deserves like royalties. Um, and I would say that like, I would like to see those, you know, secondary sales go back into the fund. I think the problem you might have might be lack of volume only because a lot of like, I have no intention of ever selling my token well, uh, because I didn't buy it with any intention of making money. Yeah, right? man. I, I think that's the main thing too. And that's, that's what, what I was alluding to earlier when I was talking about, you know, things kind of looking sexy, right? The NFT world kind of, there's the things that people are going to go into because there's a use case or a reason to support or, the other side of it is kind of the flipping side. And I never thought when I saw, especially when I saw the list of people who purchased this, like the journeys, a lot of creators, a lot of builders, a lot of musicians, a lot of artists that, that like you and I are fans of. And, and, and some like really incredible, like some really incredible collectors. Actually, I'm not going to lie. There are some amazing collectors um, who do some really cool things in the space, but I never really thought Hey, this person is going to resell it. However, I did still want to create value for people. Right. And, but for me, like my, I, I'm not, I'm not leaving my mission, which is, this is just the beginning steps of really funneling to a foundation. So anything that I do through the blockchain, whether you're talking NFTs or you're talking about something that we don't even know exists yet, there's always going to be a portion that goes into that wallet that'll then get funneled into that foundation because the foundation, we're talking about scholarships for individual kids. We're talking about programming itself. We're talking about um, putting like money to where it actually is in real life going to be able to go. And you know, other than that, I mean, I think supporting the artists that, that you and I got to know was, was really an incredible piece of it. Um, that was like really something I had a lot of fun with. We're talking, we've actually been really working on um, building out a whole metaverse gallery um, to show off some of that stuff. Though, let's be honest, not everyone's walking around the metaverse the same way that they were like a year and a half ago. That kind of like slowed down. And that's why we didn't like rush to just, hey, everybody, like the journey, like gallery is unveiled to the two people that are going to walk around in it. So, but, but the heart is still there, right? The reason why we're doing it is still there, but there are some cool individual things I feel like going on right now. Some good people. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of good people, a lot of cool things going on right now. And to your point, I think that some of that stuff is just being shaken out and we might be feeling it in our pocket so to speak, but I don't think that that's necessarily like a bad thing long run for this space. And yeah, I mean, like I think about like when I uh, like, did you collect baseball cards when you were younger? Oh yeah. I'm still waiting for that Ken Griffey Jr. Rookie card to uh, be a down payment on a home, which I 1989 <laughs> upper deck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So so, yeah, so similarly, but so you and I come from that generation. I don't know if there's still a generation of people that collect baseball cards, but we collected baseball cards like for the same reasons that people kind of like buy into PFPs. And we didn't spend tons of money on those baseball cards. Like what we did was, is we'd open, like we'd buy a pack from like Tops or Upper Deck or Fleer or Donruss. I think a lot of those companies don't exist. I've been disconnected from that world for a while. And they were at a very reasonable price. Um, I can't remember, but I think it was like less than a dollar. Um, and you'd open them up and you'd hope, yes, you'd get that Ken Griffey Jr. or something. But even if you got like a Ben McDonald or like, you know, a, a lesser known player, like you were just happy that you got a deck of like you bought a pack of baseball cards and you had something to talk about with your friends and then a community would kind of coalesce around that uh certainly did in my elementary school i can tell you that in my latter years of elementary school we kind of treated like school as almost like a baseball card shop where we just like talk about baseball cards and baseball and so all that's to say is that um like i think that there is a place where like these things will coexist, but just kind of coexist in a different way. So I think like even the PFP collections that I might just spend some time, like, you know, uh, bad mouthing, let's say uh, they still will exist. And I'm a fan of them and they will have a place in terms of like networking opportunities. And like, that's how you and I met where it was uh, through crypto chick, um, you know, the community, which OG became like the OG collective. 
And so I think those places will still absolutely exist. In fact, I would say like 80, 90% of my Web3 network I met through PFP collection. Uh, but not to sound like a broken record, I don't know if I'm going to spend like $5,000 and I have spent like some crazy money to get into some of those PFP collections. And I hate to say it, but I think those days are just like kind of gone. Like a lot of those all time highs that we saw, we won't see those again. Um, and yeah, we're going to see like, you know, these reasonable attainable prices to get into those collections. And I think that's a good space is that like, you know, we talk about inclusivity. Um, we have to think about like financial too, is that these things should be attainable by the masses and p- communities can form around that. And the same like parallels can be drawn to um, like concert tickets that you're talking about where like, you know, it's on the blockchain and you can have communities come around that a lot easier than uh, like these uh, uh, silos that they've kind of have been, whether it's like Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, um, you know, through the use of blockchain, they could kind of come together in a lot more easier way. And a lot of these companies can build platforms that can bring those people together. So yeah, man, there's just a lot of, and I know I'm riffing a lot, just kind of all over the place, but I think that there's just so many cool things that could be done with the blockchain. And that doesn't mean that, like the stuff that we know is not going to exist at all, but I think it's going to just kind of come back in a different form where it's not so much just like about the monetary gain. And I always think about the baseball cards because yes, I always wanted to pull like that 1989 upper deck, you know, Griffey card. And if I ever did, I would have been super happy about it, would have sold it or maybe I don't know, but there was a whole bunch of cards that I would have pulled that I pulled that I was super happy about getting. And I put them in a glass case and I don't know where those glass cases are right now. And I just like really just enjoyed collecting baseball cards for the sake of collecting baseball cards. And that was totally fine. I think it's that that world is still going to exist where these collections will still be around where, you know, people, and I don't know what a pool me, maybe it's going to be like the way that I described that you spend a few bucks, like 10 bucks and you draw like 10 images, you know, and some of them will be rares and some of them won't be. And you can kind of trade them and you can use one as a PFP. Like, I don't know what that future is going to look like, but I think that's more closer to what we're going to see. And also absolutely. I think like art, is going to be here to stay. Um, I think that I'm such a big believer on that. And then uh, through listening to you, uh, I've been really bought into the concept as well, as far as music goes and the use case, I had like kind of a more generalized idea, but not really more concrete, but the more and more I listen to you, the more, concrete and focus of those thoughts are listening to the musicians that you've had on your podcast come on and talk about um, how they're leveraging the blockchain. So I, I, I'm so incredibly... I don't like to use the word bullish, but let's say, uh, although I use that from time to time, but I'm just so incredibly like optimistic about what can be done in Web3. Um, and that's what keeps me going. Um, But uh, like when I'm talking about self-reflection and you're doing self-reflection, some of the stuff I'm just not really sure has staying power. When you're thinking about all the things that we've seen in Web3, um, it's, you know, it's hard to just talk about the last year, but I like to use the year as a vantage point because for me, it's been a year of doing this podcast. We went from doing two episodes a week, eventually doing one episode a week just because the market itself got a little slower and I realized that people were not as interested anymore, but I still wanted to have the people on. There were a lot of people who I thought were really creative and interesting who I thought could be, um, you know, showcased. And then I started to really see the overall space start to get a little bit slower and wanted to make sure that you know, we're providing value in each of our conversations. So as I look towards what I never really thought was going to be a season, but I look at back at the season um, of, of fired up on the blockchain with Travi. I'm just like, man, like what a crazy journey this has been. And it started way before that. Like I talked about having worked on project teams. I was brought on primarily to do Twitter spaces because the, the founder was an athlete, um, really busy guy in real life. And didn't have the time uh, and, you know, knew that I had like done communication, uh, obviously had, having been a teacher and stuff. So he asked me to, to do it. And like, on one hand, it's, it's, it hurts because I really wanted to see that project do, I don't know what succeed really means. Like they succeeded in certain aspects, like 
they put together the NFT classic baseball game, which this NFT project and the board API club had their own NFTs on jerseys of these two baseball teams playing against each other in a real baseball game. Just like, wow, that's an incredible accomplishment. Like I worked on that game. I went to that game. It took a really long time to drive to that game, but I went there um, really hung out with some incredible people who were involved in the web three space. And like, I didn't know that that was going to be the end of that project. The founder knew that that was going to be the end of that project, but he didn't tell the team that that was kind of going to be the pinnacle of the project. And he was going to go back to doing what he needed to do in real life. And I just feel like that's the, that's the thing like that one point could really make or break, not necessarily his reputation, but like the reputation of an NFT brand in general is when did you and I are a little bit older, I'm sure than that founder. And this is not, not shade to him specifically, but when did people in quote unquote business think that it was okay to just completely disappear without saying, Hey, listen, this is, you know, I, this is what we've done. This is what I wanted to do. This is where I'm going. I just feel like maybe you and I were brought up in a little bit of like a more, not that we're old, bro, but like a little bit of a different generation where we sort of had to say what we were doing when we had a responsibility and we couldn't just say like, I'm going to delete my socials and disappear you have to at least do your best to say, to say if it doesn't work, you need to pivot or you need to close up shop. Like we know companies close all the time in real life. We know startups don't always last. That happened with so many NFT brands. People are asking questions like, Hey, and I'm not talking about a smaller thing. I'm not talking about like the journey. I'm in that case. I'm not talking about like an artist or a musician. Cause like if a musician needed to stop making music for a while, they, they'll probably just be like, yeah, like I had to stop making music for a while. Like my throat hurt. Like I spending time with my family, like whatever the things are. But I'm talking about like if you're, if, if you've sold people on this idea of a brand and that you're going to do things, you've kind of have to put your, at least try. And if not, just tell people if you, if you can't, you, to me, just disappearing completely without doing those things. I don't know, man. I don't know if it's a, a person thing or like a generational thing, but I don't know that a lot of people in business right now would just like, Oh, you want to come to work tomorrow? Cool. And they get to work and all the doors are closed. The signs are taken down. The building is closed down. Like you don't really see that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I think about when I went to business school to get my MBA, I mean, one thing that, you know, amongst other things, of course, that they taught us about is like, how do you, shut down a business too, because that's also something that happens, like you said, more than 50% of the time, unfortunately. And, you know, I think uh, projects are not necessarily exempt from that. I think being a project founder, some, one of the most difficult jobs in the world. And I've talked about that on podcasts that uh, expectations are high. People expect everything to be done yesterday. And there's always questions about what you're doing. And I don't know if like, if that's like a chicken and egg problem, like I don't like, I don't know if that's feeding into this like uh, mentality that it's just okay to disappear off the face of the earth because you're under this immense pressure and you don't know how to like deal with it. And that's just like one easy way of doing that. Or if it's just that, um, you know, there's like some bad actors there or maybe just people, like you said, maybe just from a different generation i don't like i don't know if it's a generational thing or what it is but like that that's okay um my big thing personally would be is that businesses do fail and that's okay like failure's okay it's only a fail in fact i i think i talked about this it's only a failure if you don't learn from it right so if like it does if a project doesn't work out that's okay but i think just being transparent about it is the important thing is uh being open with uh your uh holders and telling them what's going on and what are the holdups and what are the bottlenecks and what are you know uh, giving like milestones and that sort of thing i know that this space tends to penalize those things at times 
But uh, that's how like a business operates. And I don't think it should be any different for a project. And if there are roadblocks that you're, you're hitting, I mean, like just say what those roadblocks are. I think uh, it becomes more of an integrity issue when you don't talk about it or you're giving very vague Sometimes you have to give a vague answer uh, to something and that's okay, but people can kind of read when you're giving a vague answer because you're doing something else instead. I think people have that sixth sense about those things. And so I agree with you. Like it's just uh, to me, I mean, we're being frank. It's just unacceptable to just, you know, shut down all your social medias and, you know, close your discord, all that stuff and like just kind of disappear. So I think there's like, right ways to like shut things down and that's kind of like what they told us about business school and just frankly even without going to business school just i think being like you know a person of integrity like you can shut things down in a thoughtful meaningful way and then still like people trust you to start up another thing and kind of learn from that versus just kind of like disappearing and not responding and it might be like a short-term answer to something but i think in the long run you're going to pay for it yeah, and you know, for transparency's sake, I mean, I think you and I are mainly referring to the brands that raised millions of dollars in, in capital through a mint. Like to me, like that that's that's what I'm really referring to. I'm not I'm not talking about, you know, some somebody who made a few ETH selling art or or doing something like that. I I think it's more Oh no, yeah. artists exempt from this hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. I mean even smaller collections like like I'm talking more about the ones that had, you know, people kind of fighting to mint it for the quick sellout and then eventually, you know, making a lot of money on secondary royalties and having a roadmap of things that were promised and then not just not fulfilling them, but completely closing. Like to me, that's been a thing that kind of bugged me the most in the space over the last couple of years has just been like, I get like, I th- I always preach like showing up every day, right? But but seeing the market now, like it makes sense. Some people aren't going to show up every single day because there's sometimes nobody to talk to. Like sometimes there's nobody buying uh, anything, and you know some and for some that are, um, you know it's to a very small group. So I kind of understand how the interactions may have decreased, but you've seen complete shutdowns without anybody saying anything and you know sometimes the project just changes hands and to me that's another crazy thing you know not, not to go on a tangent and and you know i will end the conversation with with this part but it, there was even a team i was on the ownership group changed from these people who i and a lot of other people put a lot of support behind who were doing incredible things brilliant people and then they had to move on and do something else another job and then somebody else started to run the company. And I'm like on the team, I didn't even realize that the ownership group was going to change. Uh, I kind of like wish I had, I don't know, like I don't, I'm not saying I would have sold all the ones I had, but it would have definitely given me a little bit of, and uh, I don't know, like that crystal ball of like uh, where are we headed based on what I know of the new person. So it's it's a hard space, man. I mean, I I know that we covered a lot of things on this on this yeah. episode, but I think that the crux of the, the reason why I wanted to have you on is because not only do you have a good you know headspace for all this kind of stuff, but you know you and I have gone through. We've seen a lot of things. Uh, we've hung out in real life. We both have podcasts. We've had interesting people come on, and I'm about as unsure of where this space is going to go in the short term as I've ever been. But I feel like I'm pretty clear about where I expect it to go in, you know, on the long term. And that's like, we're all going to be using the blockchain for things without realizing it, just like people use the internet for everything anyway, but not exclusively blockchain, you know? And I think new technology, fright- like Google uh, meet frightened people who were teaching from home during the pandemic who had never really been on like a zoom or a Google meet before. So every time there's new tech, people are scared of it. You just kind of want it to just be something you could rely on. And anyway, to the builders in this space, speaking of people we can rely on meta David, I'm so glad that you were able to join me for this conversation. Having somebody you could trust in this space, look up to, Congratulations on the start of your new season. 
of the blockchain experience, the Meta David. I loved your episode with Gabe Weiss. As soon as my Nifty Gateway gets linked back up, I'm going to be able to mint your uh, podcasts as NFTs again, which was a super cool experience. Um, before we go, tell everybody a little bit about your podcast and what makes it a little bit different and how there's some things that they can collect for the low, low price of one U.S. dollar. Yeah. And thanks for, again, for having me. I love coming on your pod, love talking and riffing with you and always a uh, honor that, you know, and a privilege to just be able to uh, connect with you in the forum like this. So, so yeah, I have a podcast, which similar to yours is on to its uh, second year. Um, we started back in, I want to say it was like May or June of uh, 2022. And what we did, which was relatively novel in January of 2023 is we started making the podcasts available to mint much the same way that a musician would. I find a lot of parallels between what musicians are doing and what I'm doing when I was like speaking to Violetta on one of my episodes and listening to some of the episodes that you've had with musicians also. And the purpose behind making it available to mint is like what you spoke about earlier is time capsule that concept was really interesting to me, like the time capsule-ness, quote unquote, in the sense that I wanted the the uh, podcast to live on longer than I did um, and also for it to be more on a decentralized solution. So not to get too technical, but uh, we used uh, a storage method uh, that was very robust and ensured that it would at least the audio portion of it would live on for 200 plus years. Um yeah, the podcast did as well as it could under the circumstances. It started off, uh, I mean, like all podcasts, like if you go back to last year, it started off very modest, uh, but then it started to pick up a following. And that's when I made the decision to go the mint route. And then it had a good amount of success. But then like you talked about earlier, all us podcasters were talking about this. We could almost form a guild where like listenership really started to taper off. So what we did was, is we made the transition uh, on uh, July 11th, I think it was. It's a little bit murky, but just a, 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 about a little over a week ago at the time of this recording to go to Nifty Gateway. And the benefit in doing gift Nifty Gateway is that it costs $1 to mint. And that dollar is only because Nifty Gateway forces me to charge something. So otherwise I'd make it for free again. But the cool thing is, is it's a, it's a net positive is that $1 does include gas and it is on Ethereum. They have a super optimized like contract. Uh, so they're able to do that uh, with us, uh, which has been a, uh, really beneficial. So we've been seeing a lot of good traction, a lot of people pouring back in. I think uh, the last episode we had with, with Gabe Weiss, I think it had maybe like 200 plus mints or so. And the one before that, which was just more of a trial run, had the same thing. So, you know, it became a lot more affordable, more, a lot more attainable. It also gave people kind of like that collected more skin in the game, so to speak. I mean, I'm not, delivering this with any like you know promises of utility but we've done some cool things because i have that more direct line of sight into who the collectors are we've been able to reward people with things like inscriptions and that was before like we hit the million inscription marks so they the people that uh got those got you know rare ones um we've done uh, for uh, we've oh yeah we also are, on our last episode for everyone that had a complete set we took out a large billboard in Times Square took it over and put you know pictures of everyone that uh, was a full set hold holder including the journey which we're so thankful and privileged to be a part of so it was kind of cool to see you guys uh, up there also so just figuring out cool and novel ways to reward people uh, for their listenership kind of like what we've been talking about this whole podcast which is just finding ways and that's what i love about what you're doing with the journey uh is like finding novel ways of just really applying the blockchain uh to solve a problem and so as a podcaster like the problem that i'm being solved that solving is i have very macro level like you know uh analytics as to who my listeners are but i don't know like exactly who they are and so uh by making it available to mint i know that it's only a small percentage of 
people that are minting, but at least I am able to interact, engage and reward them in some way. Um, and it's like, my hope is, is that the, and I don't think it is, is it's not a transactional relationship. I don't think the people are minting, expecting anything. I think they're just minting to be, you know, no pun intended to be part of the experience. And I'm just kind of using the surprise and delight kind of way of just dropping surprises kind of unannounced when it happens. Um, when I'm able to, uh, able to do so. So yeah, it's just been like, you know, just kind of super experimental. We've been, you know, fortunate enough to have some awesome guests like yourself and Gabe Weiss and, uh, Violetta and Sabet. And we have some awesome guests that we've actually booked for August as well. So, uh, it's a bi-weekly podcast, so we don't drop too frequently, but whatever we do, we try to be very mindful of, um, you know, being uh, respectful of our listeners time and making, you know, doing our best to have it, you know, make an impact. Sounds awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, on to the new season. I'm excited to hear some of the new guests. I'm glad that you've been on here. Uh, I think you and I have some ideas cooking for what could be um, some real fun stuff for season two fired up. So we'll talk a little bit more about that behind the scenes. But, you know, as we look back on the last year, I think that, you know, some of the relationships, the friendships, um, the things that have developed uh, among our, I guess, our cohort in, in this Web3 kind of builder space. Um, has been one of the things that I've appreciated. I think more than more than anything else, really more than more than flipping, more than the uh, the minting process. Uh, just really making those connections has been you know something that's been really fun for me. So thank you for being a part of that experience. Totally, yeah. And um, I think it's a good time to really kind of take a look within, take a look at the space, um, and see kind of where we want to go for season two, where the NFT space is going to go. And how he could do what we always try to do, man. And you know what that is, of course. Bring one love to Web3. I love the way that you sign off with that. <laughs> and make sure you listen to the blockchain experience with Metadata. Don't tell me what I'm to do.